The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. EJ, we have just finished what no national media has ever done before. We <laughs> talked about the AFC South for five days, baby. We're the only ones doing it. True story. Very true story. It is really a fascinating division. And, and I don't just say that as a Texans fan. Uh, <laughs> and I think there's a lot of, uh, of other AFC South fans out there, whether they root for the Colts or the Titans or the Jags, that, that feel like this division never gets coverage until they go out and they beat a big-name team and everybody acts so shocked. And it's like, well, they're all pretty good. Well, not every year. But last year, they weren't all pretty good. This year, they're all pretty good, in my opinion. And again, nobody is paying attention to them. Uh, it's, it's an AFC South tradition as old as time. We're the only division where it doesn't even matter if we're the first overall pick, which we are often. Uh, you know, They'll go to commercial break. It doesn't matter. Like We are the overlooked stepchildren of the NFL, and we're damn proud of it. And you know what? We're coming to take your playoff spots. All right. Before we get into all this, Jay, Autumn, Anthony, roll the intro. Welcome back once again to the Bootleg Football Podcast. It is a gorgeous Friday out here in L.A. Uh, Again, talking AFC South, doing our division wrap-up for the week. If you missed all four episodes that we did this week, Monday through Thursday, we had dedicated episodes to each individual AFC South team, anywhere between an hour to an hour and a half. A couple of them, well, by the time we cut those down, maybe might be over. The Texans episode we recorded for like an hour and 45 minutes, so uh, we'll see how long that one is. But yeah, it was a lot of information. We hope that all of you got through that so that you have as good an understanding of the AFC South as you possibly can have Because today we're wrapping it up, we're picking our division winner, we're picking our award winners, and uh, I think we're we're celebrating the forgotten division of the NFL. And there's a reason they were forgotten, and it's more last year's performance, not necessarily projecting forward to this year's performance. We believe at the end of the year it will be a less forgotten division this season than last. But, alas, we do have to go over 2022. Jacksonville won the division 9-8. Tennessee second, seven and ten. Colts at four and twelve, and one of the biggest surprises league-wide for both of us. And the Texans brought up the rear, three and thirteen. Winner of the whoa, division. Whoa, 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 whoa. Three, thirteen, and one, buddy. 
Well, you know, <laughs> I didn't give Indianapolis their tie either because ties are like kissing your sister. So, <laughs> God, we're so shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when you're when you're complaining, I didn't give the fourth place team its tie. <laughs> you might be digging a little bit. Winner of the division, Jacksonville. Only playoff participant, Jacksonville. Any late season surge teams? Jacksonville. Jacksonville, 5-0. and That was it. Jacksonville was pretty much the solo highlight of this division last year. Now, we don't think it's going to be that way this year. Uh, and we do give divisional power scores as well. And the way we do that is we take the power score for each team. We add it up and don't average it out. So we get a total number. When we do that, Jags power score, 14 Titans was 20, Colts was 26, Texans 28. Again, lower score is better. This is golf rules. You want to be number one, not number 32, or in this case, number one, not number eight in terms of division. The division power score added up to 88. That is last of the eight divisions in overall power score. We have had some people that are probably a lot better at math than me. Uh, I'm a film school kid. I don't know shit about math. (laughs) They have advocated for us to do averages rather than adding um they have i'll be perfectly honest i don't know which one's better uh from a statistics perspective i think when we get through this series i think we will reveal the averages for all of them as well as the cumulative totals they'll probably end up with the same result i would imagine in terms of ordering the divisions because the afc south's last no matter what but i would be interested to see if those reveal a different gap from division to division what it will do is tighten up the overall rankings and make less uh disparity between those numbers and i was trying to basically accentuate that disparity with the divisions and in terms of them being last in power score that is having the largest power score uh they also had the lowest divisional win total at 23 so it adds up i mean it works out Um, What it would do is compress those numbers, and we had a lot of that in the individual teams for divisions. I wanted to to show a little bit more spread, which is what this accomplishes, but I get the mathematical argument. If you're a statistician, uh, please explain it to me in the comments because I know math good. Like he's five. (laughs) That's giving me a little bit too much credit. (laughs) Make it like three and a half. I want this to be like if you're explaining it to somebody who can't form memories yet, (laughs) how are you explaining this? All right. Anyway, uh, let's get to notable free agency additions. Again, if you want to look at the uh, total free agency roundups for each individual team, you know, explaining how they fit into their new systems, um, explaining their roles, uh, you know, looking at contract values. We, we did deep dives and all this for each individual team. You can go to those episodes. And on the screen right now is a list of like the most notable free agent additions for each team. EJ and I are each picking one that we deem to be our favorite. For me, in this one, uh, this one, a little bit of a caveat. <laughs> because the Titans let David Long walk, who I think is a very good linebacker. He got signed to Miami for $5 million, And then Rand Carthon, who came from San Francisco, had familiarity with Aziz Alshire and signed him, and he's roughly the same age, for literally the exact same amount of money. So he is my pick, Aziz Alshire, to to be my favorite free agent signing in the division. But at the same time, it's also one of the weirdest ones because I feel like they just took a good player and then replaced him with another good player who's basically the same as the good player, if that makes sense. It does. It's like, 
Uh, it's like your boss wants to tell you the difference between these two pictures. <laughs> They're the same picture. Pretty much. Uh, he was in the running for my choice as well. I'm going to go with Dalton Schultz to Houston. Walks in as an unquestioned starter is better than what that team had. It's an upgrade will help out their new quarterback in ways that we talked about in depth in the individual division episode. Uh, I really like Dalton, Sh- Dalton Schultz addition and, uh, you know, in, <laughs> in the theme of this, nobody's talking about it, right? Nobody's yeah. said anything about Dalton Schultz going to the Texans. It was one of the quietest free agency acquisitions, I think, out there. And I think at the end of the season, we're going to look back, one of the most impactful in this whole division. He was talked about so much uh as a cowboy storyline like oh what are they going to do with schultz what are they going to do with schultz are they going to sign him like is ferguson the new guy and then of course you know they took shoemaker anyway but uh that was after dalton signed in houston but like it felt like it was such a prominent storyline in dallas for such a long time then he goes to houston and people forget he exists and it's like it's still top 10 tight end in the league that they got for what was like six and a half million or something like that walking into a starting position where you know a rookie quarterback's gonna need a security blanket he's one of the best in the league for that in terms of fantasy in terms of actual football on the field either way like it's it's a very good fit and basically mums the word nobody's mentioning it it's all right he's gonna put up 700 yards he's gonna be on all my fantasy teams and i'm gonna sleep like a damn baby uh all right notable rookies again if you want to go through the entire draft class for each individual team you can check out those individual episodes uh we're putting the these are not the complete draft classes that are on screen right now these are just kind of the most notable picks that we were going through as options for us picking our favorite pick I'll be honest, AFC South was really tough yeah. for me because there's two top-flight quarterback prospects that got drafted into this division. I was a big fan of C.J. Stroud. I was a big fan of Anthony Richardson. I could have argued for either of those. Uh, you know, Josh Downs in Indy, I love that pick. Uh-huh. Um, I love the Will Anderson pick in Houston. Anton Harrison, low-key, great pick in Jacksonville. Um, Skaronsky was potentially a life-saving pick for Tannehill in Tennessee. There's a lot of options here. But I wouldn't be a proper homer unless I pick C.J. Stroud. It's going to make the biggest impact for the team that you care the most about. So, yeah, that's a little bit homerism, but it's also, you know, watching a very talented player go to a team in the league that really needed an infusion of talent at the quarterback position, and they get one of the best I'm going to flip it around and go right to the other side. The very next pick in the draft, they trade back up. They also needed an infusion of talent at edge. We thought they would have to wait to get that. Nope, no waiting. (laughs) Very next pick, Will Anderson out of Alabama also becomes a Houston Texan. I think he will have immediate impact. We never really talked about our criteria. We just said favorite. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to give a, a, in classic bootleg style, an honorable mention or a notable exception here. For now, for the immediate future, Will Anderson is my pick. Long term, it's got to be Anthony Richardson. Well, because if he turns into not even what we think he can be, if he turns into 75% of what we think he can be, he's a Pro Bowl quarterback. Yeah, and it will it will be the key addition not only for that team, but probably for this division from this draft going forward. He is a franchise, potentially franchise-turning player if he develops into a solid NFL starting quarterback because he's going to have high flashes. He is somebody you're going to be able, 
again, if he ends up where we think he can, that you can hook your wagon to and say, this guy's our leader for the next seven to 10 years. So long-term it's Richardson for now, it's Will Anderson. We have been heaping praise on Richardson all week and, and, you know, bringing him up in literally every single AFC South episode in some way. Um, and so people are like, okay, well then why did, why did Stroud go ahead of Richardson then if everybody can only talk about Richardson? There is uh, an element of safety to C.J. Stroud, and I don't mean that to say that um, you know he he cannot reach the heights of a lot of elite quarterbacks in this league. Like he's extremely accurate. He's got a good arm, good head on his shoulders, smart kid, mobile enough. Like he's got better feet than than I think people. Um, give him credit for like you watched the Georgia game like he was escaping pressure constantly I'm not going to hold it against him he didn't have to escape pressure that many times last year you know there was there was a couple games like you know the Iowa like Iowa obviously got all of uh, got after him a little bit Georgia got after him a little bit but like he showed off that mobility um Wisconsin you know had a, had a few good plays against him um so he he has shown that he can move but in addition to just being a phenomenal pure thrower of the football I just think that you feel a little bit safer putting him out there right now and trusting that it's going to work with Anthony Richardson just because of the inexperience. I don't mean to say he's raw. He's not raw. People sometimes translate inexperience to mean raw. He's so much further ahead than somebody who has played as few games as him should be. Like It's actually kind of freaky how far along he is for how few games he's played. But the reality is he hasn't played that many games. So it, it comes down to we acknowledge Anthony Richardson has a higher ceiling. We acknowledge Anthony Richardson from a playmaking perspective does jaw-dropping stuff that nobody else in this class was doing. But at the same time, with how few games that he's played, I wouldn't be surprised if, if there are more growing pains for him than for other rookies in this class. Yeah, C.J. Stroud has a higher floor. He's starting at a more advanced place than Richardson is. It's not to say Richardson is bad. Again, I think he's better than where he should be, given his experience level. But C.J. Stroud's floor is higher. His ceiling, I would say, is close. But he occupies this place in the middle where Richardson's floor is lower. He's starting with less experience, with more things to learn. But his ultimate ceiling, based on his athletic gifts and some of the things he's shown already in those limited starting experiences is is also higher so richardson's envelope is bigger the range or the variance of of his total outcome is i think less certain the safety from stroud comes you're starting at a higher place you're going to get more out of him initially right off the crack and he still has a good ceiling it's not one of those players it's like oh he's pretty much maxed right he's good now but he's not going to get a lot better he's good now and he could get quite a bit better could he get every bit as better, squeeze every last drop out of that that Richardson can? No, even on his best day, if you you know put out a theoretical ceiling for both of them, Richards is, is higher. I don't even know if Richardson has a theoretical ceiling. Like He is quite literally the freakiest athletic prospect the game has ever seen at quarterback. More than Cam, more than Allen, more than anybody ever. So the sky is not even the limit with him. Like, yeah. that's that's where he could go to. And that's why he went fourth overall, right? 
And and that's why, you know, he started the pre-draft process. Everybody said he was a second-round pick. Well, not everybody. I didn't. And you didn't. There's a lot of people who were saying, oh, he's going to go day two. And it's like, no, somebody who's built like that doesn't go day two. I'm sorry. It's, well, they're going to dig in. And again, it's relative to the other players in this class. And if you're looking for, again, we think a sort of sneaky high floor, higher than a lot of people said, definitely well above the project label that was assigned to him. And then you look at that theoretical ceiling, no matter how high you think it is, it's pretty darn high. Those guys get drafted. Quarterbacks with those skills get overdrafted. And that's just because if you don't overdraft them, you don't get them. Yep. They're gone. And the Colts were recycling veteran after veteran after veteran. Like, what do they got to lose at this point? No, they had to do it. And we both <laughs> like, think they you, made a pretty good what are you choice. Do? Sign Garoppolo? Like, who? <laughs> Why? I actually, at that point? <laughs> I actually thought they might, which I'm super glad they didn't, but that's a story for another podcast. Let's look at our uh, division predictions. This is where we predict division MVP, offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, offensive rookie of the year, which is going to be hard based on the quarterback conversation we just had. Yep. Uh, defensive rookie of the year, coach of the year, and of course, division winner. We're going to start right at the top, division MVP. I'm not going to draw this out. There is no other realistic option here other than Trevor Lawrence. He is the best quarterback in the division for now. Uh, <laughs> and also arguably the best overall player in the division for now. So, yeah, Trevor Lawrence. That's the pick. Not even really debatable. Nope, and we don't need to debate it. It's a both. There are actually quite a few boths, uh, unanimous selections, in other words, on this list. Uh, we'll we'll save our time to talk about the ones where it was not unanimous. But Trevor Lawrence, if he just continues the path he was on last season, especially at the end of the season, this is a runaway. And hell, he might even be a league MVP candidate. He could be in, in the, the very running. near future. Yep. I still don't know why they put him at four thousand yards. We got to make that bet before I leave California. It's it's ridiculous. Just here, free money. Have fun with it. Uh, anyway, Offensive Player of the Year. We actually did differ on this one. Mm -hmm. Now, anytime EJ sees an opportunity to champion Damian Pierce, he's going to do it. Yes. So he, he went with Damian Pierce. I went with a different running back in this division, Jonathan Taylor, who was the unfortunate victim of a really, really, really underperforming offensive line in Indy last year with a rookie left tackle that took a while to get his sea legs under him. Uh, turnstile at right guard, which was a combined effort at right guard to beat horrible. Uh, there was just not not a whole lot of room for him to run at all last year. This year with, on paper, uh, an offensive line that I think is going to play a lot better. And also a run scheme with Shane Steichen that I think will kind of open things up for him by using Anthony Richardson's legs to create space. I wouldn't be surprised if Jonathan Taylor is one of the most productive running backs in the entire league this year. If I didn't go with Damian Pierce, it was going to be Taylor for a lot of the same reasons. They both have rookie quarterbacks. Uh, they both have rookie head coaches. They are going to lean in the run in times on in those times when they're not sustaining drives, when they feel like things are a little bit shaky, uh, young quarterbacks get rattled. They are going to lean on these two guys. And they're in very similar situations that way. I actually like Pierce's line a little bit better on paper 
than the Colts line. Fair. Um, I'm not necessarily sure I like the scheme better because what you said about Steichen is very relevant to Jonathan Taylor. I went back and forth on this one. They're both great players. I wouldn't be surprised to see either of them win it because their situations are so similar. For Defensive Player of the Year, uh, you went with Josh Allen, the pass rusher Josh Allen. Not the the other Josh, Josh Allen. Allen uh, over in Jacksonville, who I feel is due for that, not breakout type year, but like national attention breakout type year. I went with Jeffrey Simmons, who already does have plenty of national attention. He's one of the few AFC South players that does. Everybody universally recognizes that he is a bad, bad, bad man. And I think that that payday... Um, to be perfectly honest, by the end of this season, will already be a bargain, if not right now. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like $23.5 million off the top of my head, if I recall that correctly. Even now, that seems a little low for the potential of what he can be and already is. By the end of this season, I think we'll look at that and be like, that should be a 27-28 type number. Because when you measure what he can do up against the guys in the league that do make that type of money. If you squint, you can't really tell the difference. I was going to say, do you have to wait to the end of the season? <laughs> Seems a little bit low for those of us that are Jeffrey Simmons fans. I believe I picked him in this spot last year in this show. Um, still honestly believe in his potential very, very strongly. And yes, regardless, that is a steal of a deal for Tennessee. Josh Allen, I feel like, is a little bit more of a dark horse pick, but not really. If you watched his play last year, especially through the back half of the season, what he was able to produce on that young defense, he was an unheralded star. There was a lot of attention, and rightfully so, focused on you know last year's first-round pick, Trayvon Walker, on the other edge of that defense. Um, you know, Josh Allen himself was a very high pick as an edge rusher for them. He's had one more year of seasoning and he really started to come into his own. And Jacksonville fans will tell you this up and down that he gets no love for the amount of pressure he put on the quarterback. And if you watch this podcast, you know, we are fans of overall pressures, not just sacks. He had good numbers in both better numbers in career best numbers for him. If you add them all up, I think again, the arrow is still pointing up. He hasn't hit his ceiling yet with more national exposure for the Jaguars, which we are both predicting, more high-profile games, more wins, he's going to get a bigger spotlight, and they're going to start to look for stars on that defense. He's going to be one of them. Moving now to Offensive Rookie of the Year. Now, of course, because I'm a filthy, dirty, no-good homer, I went with C.J. Stroud. It's my guy. Got to back my guy. Sure. You have a choice to make between immediate floor and the potential long-term superstar ceiling of Anthony Richardson. Where are you going? I'm going with Anthony Richardson and it's largely because of his head coach. Steichen. Steichen. In terms of the type of passing game that Steichen uh, has, which is very aggressive down the field, you know, let him kind of use that arm talent to his advantage. Or are you more talking about the way you use him in the run game? Both. And overall, the umbrella over both of those is his experience with a similar, not the same type of player in Philadelphia as a young coach coming in with Jalen Hurts and saying, I have a guy that can use his legs when he needs to. 
if anything, Richardson has more arm talent. Again, he's not as far along in his development as Jalen Hurts is at playing quarterback, all of the things you need to do to be effective. But he has more tools. I think that's inarguable. And Steichen has a couple of years of experience molding that guy into basically a league MVP candidate. Mm-hmm. I think Richardson hits the ground running offensively a little bit faster than C.J. Stroud does in Houston. No no shade on Bobby Slowick. Like, I think he's a great coach, and I think they will have a very good offense this year. But I think Steichen, in terms of having a young, very athletic passer, was very good at finding that proper balance, not just saying run whenever, but saying when you need to, or here's a place we can really leverage that strength. If we're going to have you take a hit, here's a good place for you to do it where we feel like we can break it off, get a chunk gain, get a key first down. He already has a couple of years experience doing that. Slowick has some, but he's also a first time coordinator. So it's a, it's a really slicing the garlic thin here with the razor blade, (laughs) but in terms of, He's got, again, one of the toolsiest quarterbacks we've seen who is farther along than most people think he is. And he's got two years experience with a very similar player in an offense he's now installing. There will be growing pains. He is not going to be a league MVP candidate. I don't think either one of these guys are. But feels like his highs might be a little bit higher. Those flashes mean things and things like offensive rookie of the year voting when people vote they vote based off the highlights they see on twitter or threads or whatever people are on by the time this show comes out i don't right. know there'll or, be three more by then <laughs> mastodon uh t2 blue sky whatever the you name it <laughs> whatever the app people are on i don't know we're recording this early july so yeah. there could, <laughs> could be, be six by more then. by the time they vote on these awards elon could be in mars by then i don't know <laughs> i don't know uh, defensive rookie of the year. We actually have agreement on this one, and it's kind of the obvious choice, right? Will Anderson, um, for many people, he was edge one in this class. He was player one overall in this class for some people even. And I don't really blame them for that. I, I think looking at the edge class, you could make the argument that Tyree Wilson uh, had a much higher ceiling than Will Anderson just based on physical tools. Uh, you could even argue that that there are other freaks that went later in the first round that could pop earlier, like say Lucas Van Ness in Green Bay. Um, you know, some some people out there have argued that Felix Anaduke Ozoma has a chance at getting like you know eight, nine, ten plus sacks in Kansas City just because they're going to have a bunch of leads and he's he might be their best pure pass rushing edge on that team right now, but. If we're just going with safety, if we're going with somebody that we know week one is a good football player, will stop the run, is excellent on stunts, doesn't make mental mistakes, you can drop him in coverage a little bit, is phenomenal on first, second, and third down, even if the peaks are not the same as some of the other freak show edges in this class. I feel better from a snap-to-snap basis about Will Anderson than I do about almost anybody else in this group just because he doesn't mess up like ever you you never see mental mistakes you never see him outright getting manhandled in the run game just the the steady eddied nature of what he brings as a football player is it's honestly very hard to find I think that's an extreme short sell of Will Anderson because that steadiness is there, but it is underselling his peaks. 
he has very high peaks. He had what everybody considered was, quote unquote, a down year. And he was second in the nation in pressures by a hair after dominating the year before that same number. Like he creates plenty of his own highlights as well as being mentally smart, gap sound, uh, good against the run, all the things you need. He's going to be good quickly, like solid and good quickly. And by the end of the year, could be creating many more of those peaks on his own, especially considering his new head coach. So I don't think this is a reach in any way, and I don't think it's going to be particularly close if he stays healthy. I know you're not a huge comp guy, but did you have somebody that Will reminded you of? I had like three guys, and that was the problem because he's good at a lot of things. And like steadiness and durability holding up in what I'll call basic situations that aren't flashy for pass rushers, which is where they spend the majority of their time. We've talked about this. You're only going to get four, five, maybe six opportunities per game to get a clean pass rush off. We're talking like third and long, five-step drop. You're not getting chipped like that. It doesn't happen. It's rare. So that means you spend the other 35 or 40 snaps that you spend on defense doing all these other things. It's very rare to be at a high level and play at a high level. Stay at a high level. Stay focused. Don't make mental mistakes. Play it properly physically. Have the skills to do that. There's very few guys that have that well-roundedness. So there's like, oh, in the way that he sets the edge or plays the run, he reminds me of this guy. In the way that he dips around the edge, he reminds me of this guy. Not the bendiest, but like athletically, Will Anderson's really, really good. The first step is is really, uh, like if there was a physical quality that I feel that he has better than other guys in this class, it's the first step. And I don't mean that just from like a springiness, like like the, you know, the, the vert won't blow you away, but when you look at like how he's loaded in his stance, there's no wasted movement. Super efficient. He's phenomenal at timing a cadence. And so even if, you know, again, from a physical uh, physical skills perspective, like that first step isn't as explosive as, say, Byron Young out of Tennessee, who's an absolute right. freak show, right? He still has a better first step than Byron because there is zero wasted movement uh, in terms of his stance, his technique, uh, you know, how balanced he is. Like, there's no false steps. Again, he types in the cadence really well. So he's still a half a yard deeper than guys that are quote unquote more talented than he is because he just knows what he's doing. And I think that's a, that's something that you can't really teach. Like you can try to instill that into a young player, but you just kind of have that have to have that innate pass rushing instinct. And it's, it's almost unquantifiable. And they have to want it. This is not Byron Young slander, right? That guy is a missile. But he's a missile on like three out of 10 snaps. And Will Anderson is consistently deeper in the backfield after a step or two than he is on seven out of 10 snaps. Mm -hmm. And he's good on stunts, technically. He runs them the right way. We've talked about this, that running a stunt is not just having some guy take a blocker for you. There's a way to run it more efficiently and get to the quarterback. Will Anderson does that almost every time. It's about eye discipline. It's about how your feet are pre-snap. Um, it's about, you know, stepping the right way, the right depth, the right direction. Um, it's about how you use your hands. It's about 
you know, how you can influence a tackle with like little body language. Like there's so much that goes into a stunt and like somebody that's really bad at running a stunt actively hurts your football team yeah. because you're wasting you're wasting a down essentially and you lose gap integrity they get oh out of their God. lanes there's all kinds of things anderson is a technician in every phase stopping the run running stunts hand usage first step eye discipline feints and stunts like he's just he is a student of the game he keeps learning he's gotten better every year even after his amazing year where he was you know, arguably people said he should have won the Heisman. And if you were saying that the Heisman was for the best player in college football, which it's not, it's for the best quarterback or offensive player in college football, that there was no way to say that he didn't win the Heisman the year before he came out, that he was the consensus best football player in the nation, regardless of position. And he found a way to keep his production high when you know, offenses changed the way they played him. He was still terribly productive. So I feel like saying, oh, he's a steady Eddie. He is, but he's like a steady, excellent Eddie at a level that so few other people are. Steady Edward. Yeah. He's going to be amazing. Uh, all right. Coach of the year, 2022. Got some good options here. Yeah. We love Doug Peterson. We love Mike Rabel. We think that Steichen will work in Indy, but obviously we can't. You know, we can't pick him as a rookie head coach. And I'm obsessed with D'Amico Ryans, but I'm I'm not that much of a homer where I'm going to pick him over guys that have won Super Bowl. Are you sure? I mean, if you, I, I you considered it. I considered it. it. Um, but if we're looking at coach of the year in this division, out of all these excellent choices, I'm going to go with the man who consistently drags his team to better records than they have any right having. And that's Mike Frabel. Last year, he had this squad who even last year this time, uh, you know, people were were kind of down on the Titans and thinking, OK, the window's closed. They were like seven and two to start the year. Right. They were right in the mix of things for the first seed. And then injuries kind of well, not just injuries, but injuries and Dennis Daly uh, kind of sank their season over the back half of the year. Oh, man, God, he was bad. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Mike Vrabel's still still had that team competitive mm -hmm. through it all really um, against top flight AFC teams. And uh, I, I just think he's a hell of a coach. And I think he is one of the force multipliers at head coach in the NFL. And um, if this team stays healthy, which they it's Tennessee, so they probably won't, but if they do, they should be uh, not just competing for a wild card spot, but might even give Jacksonville a run for the division. Highest compliment I can give him is that I feel like he's Mike Tomlin Jr. Mm -hmm. And I have ultimate respect for Mike Tomlin as a coach. Mike Vrabel is quickly approaching that level. So the junior is in no way to say that he is, you know, lesser or not good. It's that he's done it for less long. And that's about it. That's the difference for me right now. Or he's quickly approaching that difference. Again, picking the Titans to ever be bad like truly bad like win sub five games i don't think i ever will while he's head coach you're just tossing away money at that point it's just not gonna happen uh all right that being said division winner though we also are in agreement on this one that even though tennessee will put up a valiant fight even though the colts will be massively improved and even though the texans i think legitimately have a shot to win somewhere between seven eight nine Dare I say 10 games? I don't know. Dare you? <laughs> dare I. Dare I. 
it's a very good division or better than better than people think a largely improved division like it's not as good as the afc north it's not as good as the afc east no but if i had to like bet okay which division between the afc west and the afc south is going to have more wins like i think the bottom teams in the afc south are better than the bottom teams in the afc west like I think the you know difficult to argue the the top of the AFC West Chiefs and Chargers is better than the top of the AFC South, but like from a one through four perspective, yeah, you know it's all depends on how you count it. It's a good division. Yep. So who do we think is going to win it? Got to go with Jacksonville. Best quarterback, yep. elite Super Bowl winning coach. You know they were on a tear in the back half of last year when they finally figured things out. Their offensive talent is better. Their defensive talent is better. Nothing got worse this offseason. They were already a playoff team. They already, um, you know, looked like they have the ability to challenge the top of the AFC. And now they have Calvin Ridley. So again, I think the other AFC South teams will tear some wins off of them throughout the regular season, but. If I'm going to bet on one of them to sit on top of the mountain at the end, it's going to be Jacksonville. Feels like the most powerful team in the division on both sides of the ball. That's a division winner. That's a you know potentially strong playoff team, not just a, hey, we got in, but we're going to make some noise when we get there. They feel like they're ascending. They're young. Their coaching is solid, and really they didn't suffer any losses. They're at the top of the mountain right now. I don't see them backsliding at all. I think they win this division. I think they go deep into the playoffs this year and maybe knock off, you know, another AFC team that is <laughs> beloved and has had more success before Jacksonville did. And I feel like this could be the beginning not only of that, but of sustained success, which is different and very hard to achieve in the NFL. This is a really young core. Um, they're not going to age out or pay out next year. They have at least a two-year window here. If they're really good this year, make noise, maybe even get to the AFC Championship game, I'm not expecting huge drop-off next year either. They're going to be right there again. So tough to pick anybody but Jacksonville. Overall, though, the division is, if we, when we do power score again next year, however we modify it, I very, very strongly doubt that the AFC South is going to be lasting. You know, if I had to pick who was going to be last – Probably the NFC West. I'd bet maybe NFC South. Both contenders. <laughs> Both contenders. But it's not going to be the AFC South. It like, doesn't I, I feel think like those AFC days are over. It doesn't feel like they're going to have a repeat in that category. All right. Well, that was fun. Nice little week talking about a division that never gets any love. Uh, next week, we're moving east and we're talking about a division that everybody always talks about. <laughs> they are, uh, they're not lacking in coverage. It's the NFC East. Uh, you see them on primetime every single Sunday because why would NBC choose any other team than the Cowboys to put on Sunday Night Football? I get it. It's a business, but uh, it's our turn to talk about the NFC East. And uh, somehow, some way, uh, we're, we're going to pick a division winner there out of all those contenders. The Eagles are still great. The Cowboys are still great. Washington's got a nasty roster. The Giants made the playoffs last year, and oh, by the way, they're better. So uh, it is a very, very, very good division that even though uh, I, I wish that people talked about other teams every now and then, uh, they, they do deserve the coverage they get. Really strong folks that are fans of the division are going to want to tune in, going to want to see those power scores, going to want to see the division power score at the end of the week. 
Going to want to see our new t-shirts from Homage because we got some new threads for that division as well. I'm excited to break out a couple of new t-shirts next week. If you want new gear for your team, check out our clothing sponsor at homage.com. Use the link in the description. Any of the designs you buy from all of the 32 teams, and they have plenty of designs for each, help support the podcast if you use that code. Plus, you'll have fresh stuff. Come on, admit it. Your drawer full of football gears, full of holes, and probably doesn't smell that great. You want soft new t-shirts and hoodies, go check out Homage. I got a Jason Kelsey shirt for next week from there. I'm excited right. to wear it. Yep. I, I don't really have any other Eagles gear, so. No, it's my first piece of Eagles gear, so we'll both be wearing fresh Homage gear for the Eagles. And uh, I'll be breaking out a fresh t-shirt for one of the teams I think is going to make more noise than people think it is right now. And you might be the only one. And that's okay. <laughs> that's on I will bandwagon. drive that bus. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next week.